for now, Rita. The fact that we just played Desperado by uh, Celtic Thunder has nothing to do with the previous story, OK? It's a, actually just to introduce a little bit it's... of Ireland. And Rita Relick's been on the move again, and she's not alone. She recently spent a few days in Dublin after a gap of about five years, and she's noticed some striking changes. She thinks she had the luck of the Irish when she was there and gives a few recommendations to her favourite parts of the city. Everyone's on the move again, travelling after the years of lockdown. We've been talking about that on the show for a while, but I got to see it firsthand recently. I was on a cruise that ended in Dublin. I'll talk about that another time, the cruise I mean. It's been five years since I was last in Dublin, and I had very clear memories of the city. Five years ago, Dublin felt very Irish. A month ago, it felt much more European. I don't remember Dublin with so many people in it. Was that because of the number of tourists and all the different languages heard on the streets? Partly, but I also think it's the result of Brexit. If you're part of the European Union and want to go somewhere to improve your English, where do you go? Especially if you're a student. Ireland is within the European Union. It is so much simpler to travel there. I met two groups of Austrian students who were on a 10-day tour of Ireland. They were school students and they had clear assignments. The first group of three stopped us in St Stephen's Green to ask us questions about Irish history. Presumably they were going to go back to report on how many people they stopped were well informed. A day later, another group of three, whose first question was what we felt about the number of tourists. We're two of them, I said, so I can't complain. They then asked how we would describe the Irish we encountered. Odd question, but I said, friendly. And one of the girls smiled and said, that's what everyone says. I then asked where they were from. Vienna, said the girl, and no one says the Viennese are friendly. The friendliness manifested itself in various ways. There was the man who came up to us when we were reading the menu posted outside a restaurant. He came to tell us just how good it was. He lived locally and he knew. You'll need to book, he advised. He was right. The thing I noticed was how many restaurants were fully booked when I tried to reserve a table. The friendliness is all about the unsolicited good advice. We were at the National Bank of Ireland and someone told us to go to the exhibition of the work of the great Nobel Prize winning poet Seamus Heaney. The bank has set aside an area for that, for that exhibition, and then someone else chipped in, there's a guided tour in 15 minutes, take it. Best advice I got. Even if you think you don't care for poetry, go, take the tour. Had I done nothing else, that would have made the trip to Dublin worthwhile. And as for a poet and how he's regarded in his own country, Heaney's standing in Ireland was such that when the announcement of his death was made at the start of a football match, 
every single person in the stadium got to their feet for a minute's silence. That exhibition will convince you, particularly the exhibition with the tour, will convince you of the importance of poets and poetry. There are more souvenir shops than I would have thought possible, all selling the same things, it seems. I checked. Mostly things were made in Ireland, which is a positive. So, my guide to Dublin. The museums are notably good. Start with the Museum of Immigration, which is quite brilliant. I won't tell you how it works, but it shows very, very cleverly how history can be explained, how stories can be told. It is very crowded now. The first director, who moved on elsewhere since, was the director of the Immigration Museum in Melbourne. When we were there, we were told our tickets were valid for three days, and that's really useful. There's a lot to take in on a single visit. Next museum, which is in two parts. The National Museum of Ireland has an archaeological section in a building that's so grand it's worth the visit for that. And although 10,000 years may not seem that much in the context of Aboriginal history in Australia, it's remarkable to find out what we know and can deduce from what's been found. The buried hoards of treasure, for example, the gold, the amber, the evidence of travels and trade. And then there are the bog people. They're the people who were buried thousands and thousands of years ago, preserved in bogs often found not so long ago, when farmers were ploughing. A lot can be told about the violence of the society from those bog people. Again, take a tour if it's on offer. That's my advice all along. They're usually for very small groups and hugely informative. And you get to ask questions too. If you go to Trinity College, as you should, Students are the ones who will guide you around. Trinity College, among its other distinctions, houses the Book of Kells. That's the illuminated manuscript, the four books of the Gospels, dating from about 800, written and illustrated by monks on the island of Iona. The second part of the National Museum of Ireland is housed in a form of barracks and is in, divided into history and decorative arts. When I was there, the decorative arts section included an exhibition of the fashion created by E. Bjorgensen. Oh, the pleasure of seeing beautifully designed and crafted clothes that are wearable. And a heartbreaking exhibition by glass artist Alison Lowry that's her response to the awfulness of the mother and baby homes. Oh, did I mention the food and the drink? What's Dublin without its pubs? There are so many of them. Of course, each with its own character and its own music. No wonder the Irish pub became an export. I always thought that if there were a levy payable on Irish pubs outside the country that went back to Ireland, it would make quite a difference to the economy. Everyone knows Guinness, but don't ignore the red ale, which is a favourite of mine, and take your time to explore the range of whiskies. 
the Irish whiskies, that is. One pub I went to had a list of about 30 of them. Eating in pubs? Beware the sandwich at lunch. Beware? Not because it's bad. They're very good. But they are of considerable size and come with chips. So be hungry. Be very hungry. Fish and seafood are exceptional. One of the best places for me was Matt the Thresher, a pub noted for its food. It changes the specials of fish from lunch to dinner. That's a place for fresh seafood. Another place I like a lot, the Winding Stair, one of a very good group. The name is Apt. Be careful if you're having trouble going up and down stairs. Like all the places I liked, it puts its emphasis on Irish grown. Beef is also an Irish thing. Look out for FX Buckley, specialist butchers that also have a group of restaurants. Getting round is pretty simple. There are lots of buses, though the bus routes were always a bit of mystery to me, and two tram lines, red and green. They take you to most of the places you'll want to see in the city. Tickets are available at the stops. You'll need small change, just over two euros a journey. Or if you can get to the main tourist office, you can buy a 72-hour pass that enables you to travel on whatever you like, as often as you like. So often in Dublin, particularly in the museums, there's the matter of the ongoing conflict with the English that so marked the course of Irish history. Read the panels in St Stephen's Green, too, that sell that tells some of the story of the Easter uprising. It made me think a lot about the ways in which we can acknowledge the past without being trapped in it. A visit to Dublin, at least to me, shows how it might be done. That was Rita Ehrlich on returning to Dublin, Ireland post-pandemic and post-Brexit.